0: Since in Stella Gibbon's 1932 novel, Cold Comfort Farm, a chic London socialite has to spend several months at this strange provincial farm in the middle of nowhere Sussex. And this farm is full of all sorts of eccentric characters, but there's probably no one more eccentric than Amos Starkadder, the Reverend Amos, who is the vicar of the Church of the Quivering Brethren, and this is a congregation which Sunday by Sunday is reduced to a state of quivering terror by Reverend Starkadder's sermons, which always begin Aye, you've come, dozens of you like rats to the granary, to hear me tell you of the great crimson flames which will lick you, of the horrifying, endless torments which await all of you, because you're damned. All of you are damned to the fire. On the whole, it is less than an attractive portrait of organized religion. And unfortunately, I think this is still what many people think of when they think about going to church. And this is not only true from people of these sorts of evangelical traditions, but fire and brimstone preaching has become such a part of American religious discourse that even people from traditions like ours kind of suspect that somewhere in the background there's this intense, kind of latent part of Christianity. And this is funny, because fire and brimstone preaching is actually really new. So this wasn't a thing in the early church, it wasn't a thing in the medieval church, it wasn't a thing in the early modern period, but it seems to be a whole, just total invention of Enlightenment era Puritans. And yet, when we heard today's gospel, how many of us had a little voice of the Reverend Stark Adder? Or some kind of red-faced Southern preacher? I've come to bring fire to the earth! And how I wish it were already kindled! That sort of like intensity. I as I'll stop doing accents. But... <laughs> but it's kind of like we assume that our Lord had been preaching love and love and love kind of as like a gentle intro. And then there's this sort of bait and switch where you get like the scary stuff which is finally revealed by Christ. But that's not actually what's in this gospel that's actually the modern baggage that we bring to it this verse has nothing to do with the church of the quivering brethren jesus speaks of bringing fire to the earth and while while fire can mean destruction in the in the bible it often means something very different the angel of the lord appeared to moses in a flame of fire out of a bush He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending him. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them. And a tongue rested on each of them all of them were filled with the holy spirit the presence of god among his people so often is accompanied by fire visions of fire fire that's not consuming or devouring but giving light and giving warmth transforming and enlightening fire jesus has come to kindle a fire But he's not come to condemn the world in a fire of destruction, but to save it with a fire of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the gospel, the fire of love. But this is not the schmaltzy, barney, I love you, you love me sort of love. This is the all-consuming, overwhelming love, next to which everything is worthless. In the 1300s, the English mystic Richard Rawl was writing about this, in his book, The Fire of Love. And he wrote, the soul of man feels nothing of the burning fire of endless love, who is not perfectly forsaken all worldly vanity. So we won't feel the fire of God's love unless we sacrifice all worldly vanity, all of that which the world holds dear. All of that which sometimes is promoted by mothers and fathers and daughters and sons and mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. We won't feel the fire of God's love until we sacrifice coveting. This desperate belief that if I only had that thing, that thing I can buy, that refrigerator, that vacation, that, that set of golf clubs, then I would be happy. Then I would be safe. Then I would be respected. Until we take up our cross and sacrifice this temptation, we will not experience being on fire with God's love. Unless we sacrifice grudges and anger and revenge, unless we take up the cross of forgiveness to all who have hurt us, we will not experience the fire which Christ came to kindle. Unless we sacrifice our pride, being right when others are wrong, saying, I told you so, looking down on those morons who do such and such, or vote for so and so. Unless I truly try and love all of my brothers and sisters, I will not be consumed with the burning fire of God's love. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Christ came to ignite this fire of love within our hearts but it's our job to create the fuel for that fire. We have to dry out our hearts that are sodden by sin from their benighted states and allow them to be warmed and enlivened by the light of God. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So when I am out walking our Australian shepherd, Ida, and the sky starts to grow black, and I feel a couple of drops, we sprint for home. I know what's happening. I'm really good at cause and effect. I can figure these things out. It's about to storm. But internal cause and effect is something I often totally ignore. I start to think judgmental thoughts about someone, or maybe even have a conversation in which I gossip just a little bit and say something judgmental about someone else. And I think, well, what's the harm? They didn't hear me. What they don't know doesn't hurt them. And I don't even notice the way my judgment of others is beginning to separate me from love, from the love of God and from the love of my neighbor. I'm quick to run from getting a little bit wet, but I'm very casual about beginning to build a wall of judgment around my heart, which keeps God out. When I see it's gonna be a clear August day, I'm quick to crank up the AC knowing that the coming afternoon's scorching heat is going to be brutal. But when it comes to giving myself over to the heat of anger, I think, what's the harm? That guy's a jerk. And I don't even see that in anger, I'm opening a window in my heart for the enemy. And so it is with lust and greed and gluttony and unkindness and uncharitableness. In all of these, I think nobody's actually getting hurt what's the big deal and I completely ignore the fact that I'm turning away from the source of life and peace and joy turning away from God to embrace emptiness and death the first letter of Peter enjoins us all he says Nepsite, keep watch the enemy prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour be alert You walk along in the path of Christ, the path of love and peace. But there are innumerable temptations by the side of the road, each one advertising in these giant neon letters, things like contentment, self-respect, lasting happiness, fulfillment. But you get off the path and you go inside, and inside there's just emptiness and suffering. Ironically, the path the path of Christ, looks excruciatingly ordinary and untempting. It's made up of the decidedly unglamorous and unheroic simple things, things that a 10-year-old is capable of. It's a path of prayer, of selflessness, of charity, of forgiveness, of kindness and patience. But this is the way of the cross. This path is what we shoulder and bear when we take up our cross. And yet, this is the actual path to real fulfillment, real peace, infinite happiness. This path of the fire of the love of God, this is what the world is promising in all those empty buildings, and this is where we actually are. Therefore, brothers and sisters, nepsite, keep alert, keep watch. Realize what are the temptations which lead you from gentleness, charity, prayer, humility, and kindness. Be aware of cause and effect within yourself. Realize what dangers you're courting when you stray into things like pride, anger, judgment, covetousness. Let us cast off all those empty temptations of death. Let us take up the cross of prayer and the cross of selfless love. Let us stay on the path. As St. Paul says in today's epistle, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amen.